0: So uh, we're continuing in the minor prophet Amos. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, uh, we're going to be toward the conclusion of chapter five today. We've only got three sermons left, counting today. So Amos is coming to a close. This prophetic book is wrapping up. In 1998, there was a song that came out by Shania Twain that you probably know unless you have sworn off all pop culture. It's called, That Don't Impress Me Much. How many of y'all can say, I know exactly what song you're talking about? Okay, how many of you would sing it right now? No, just kidding. (laughs) So uh, it's a song from a woman's perspective, uh, receiving interest from all these interested suitors, these uh, men trying to win her affections. And the song implies that these men show up and they're just so self-absorbed, they're so full of themselves that the female character in the song is just kind of turned off by it all. Shania's character she's playing says that don't impress me much. So maybe you remember, okay, so you're a rocket scientist That don't impress me much. Then you're in. Boom. Remember that? You Remember that part? That wasn't the only one. Okay, so you're what movie star? Anybody know? Oh, y'all. Come on. You're right. Then the last one is, okay, so you've got a car. Okay, see, you know. So all of these things laid out before Miss Shania Twain there, she's not impressed. So she sends all the men packing unimpressed onto, man, I feel like a woman. So somewhere along the way, I think if we take just the, the little, don't you don't, even, don't go listen to that song later, but if you take some little nugget of, of what that song is communicating, I think somewhere along the way in our American version of Christianity, maybe it's just ch- uh, church culture, I think we've begun to believe that God is always impressed with us that any kind of preaching is okay as long as we call it Christian, that any kind of worship music is okay as long as we call it Christian, that any kind of ministry or strategy or mission that a church takes up is okay as long as we put that little banner over it Christian, that any kind of life that we live outside of these walls Monday through Saturday is okay as long as we vehemently call ourselves Christian. But is that true? Can we do anything and call it Christianity or faith or church? Can we worship however we want to? Can we live however we want to and come to church and just crank the music up and listen to a sermon and drop a little check in the plate and feel like God should just receive it? Today's passage might shock you a little bit because it's a moment in Scripture where we see that God cares not just that we gather for worship, not just about the mechanics and routines of our life, but about the condition of our hearts and the way that we live our lives. It's a powerful moment in the life of a Christian when we realize that we glorify God, not just with our outward religious motions, but primarily with the sacrifice of our daily life. God is not automatically impressed because we show up to church and do the thing. It has to be real. It has to be authentic. It has to make a difference in the way that we live our lives. And so today, we ask this question as we kick off the message. If your life, think about this, if your life outside these gatherings, these church gatherings, were laid down on an altar before God, would he be pleased with the offering? That's what we're going to talk about today. Before we look at God's Word, pray with me. Our Lord, our God, we ask your hand of blessing over this moment, that you would empower it, that you would take your Word as was read. Lord, we know it will not return void, and so we ask you to accomplish that today, that you would use your Spirit to apply it to our hearts. Lord, help us not to become complacent, ritualistic in our lives, but God, there would be True, authentic worship happening. Yes, in these gatherings, and yes, in our daily lives. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. We'll be in Amos five today. I'm doing my best in this condensed series in Amos not to repeat themes that we've covered. So I'm trying to move and give you a good survey of this book. Today's passage is one of the first ones when I thought about Amos. This was the this was the passage that I thought of before doing a study of the book. Um, many people really only know one verse from Amos if you ask them. Name the verse in Amos. They'll give you this one in chapter 5, verse 24. Uh, and sadly, at that, it's an often abused verse. And so I hope that uh, today we can put it right in context for you. So we're going to look at Amos five twenty-one today and onward. Uh, so if you're new to this study, if you're a first-timer or if you popped in in the middle of this Amos series, I want to catch you up. Basically, Israel has abandoned God. Uh, not maybe in the way that you think, but there was still a vestige of their old faith present in them. There were priests, there were offerings, there were songs, there were temples, there were sacrifices. They said the name Yahweh. The keeping of festivals like Passover still happened. However, there were two major problems in all of this. This is what we've covered so far in the series. Number one, they were allowing the worship of other false gods alongside the worship of Yahweh. They were not exclusive worshipers of the true God anymore. Secondly, though there were some pieces of true worship, their lives were completely pagan. They didn't look like Israelites at all. They didn't keep the law. They took advantage of the poor. They lied, cheated, stole, let sexual sin become normalized. Their lives were in no way attempting to conform to the faith that they proclaimed with their mouths. So the religious practice continued but it was a religious facade we saw that last week god speaks to this in amos 5:21 he continues to speak to this quite forcefully amos 5:21 read with me god says i hate you should be scared anytime god says that by the way all right i hate i despise your feasts i take no delight in your solemn assemblies Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, the melody of your harps. I will not listen. We're going to pause there and study that. Uh, God's, uh, God's going to show us today two things, I think. Number one, we're going to see God's contempt for charades. That's point number one, if you're keeping notes in an outline form, which you should if you don't. Number one... We see God's contempt for charades. Now, if you're a lover of the game charades, just know you can never play that game again. No, I'm just kidding. This is not that. I'm not talking about the game. Uh, we're talking about the actual dictionary definition of the word. It's, it's a farce, a sham, something put on to To fool for the sake of appearances. It's not real. That's what we mean when we say charade. We know that Jesus has pages and pages of teaching in the Gospels about hypocrisy, uh, giving warnings about living a fake version of your life for the public eye that's not really true of your private life. Those battles with the Pharisees are, are legendary. They're all over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. However, A lot of people think that's where the bible talks about this but you don't have to wait to the gospels to learn lessons of hypocrisy there's one right here in amos verse 21 god says i hate i despise that's that's a double repetition there for emphasis i hate i despise your feast now that word feast is used all over the bible to describe the traditional festivals of israel so passover yes feast of weeks yes feast of tabernacles all the festivals okay so it seems like from this, though they had wandered in their faith from God, in their hearts, what were they still doing? They're still keeping the feast. They were still doing the cycle, the, the calendar, the holidays. They were still keeping them. They hadn't wandered away from them. So, though they wandered from seeking God in purity, they kept observing the calendared festival cycle. They observed the Passover, thinking about that, think about that, they observed the Passover by gathering and eating unleavened bread, telling the story of the Exodus, eating the lamb, but they also then worshiped other gods at the same time. They made no effort to keep the law of Moses, whom they talked about at the Passover. The next line, God says, "'I take no delight in your solemn assemblies.'" Now, this refers to the gathering of temple worship, regular temple worship. And offerings so they're still going to the temples they're going to church if you will the Hebrew behind take no delight is an interesting word it literally reads in the Hebrew I do not enjoy the smell of your solemn assemblies now we hear language all throughout the Old Testament those stories that describe the offerings rising up to God as a pleasant aroma you've heard that in the Bible before The goal of worship was to satisfy God with the offerings that that he would receive it. God is saying here, your worship stinks. It stinks. I don't like it. It smells to me. When I hear, when I see your worship, I think, 'Mm, mm, no, not, not doing it for me. In other words, what you're pitching, I'm not catching. We're not on the same page. The way you're worshiping me, I don't want it. Verse 22, he continues, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings i won't accept them the peace offerings of your fat animals i don't look at them a burnt offering uh, was a whole animal offering it was a big deal a big financial deal it was a significant sacrifice go buy a whole cow right now and tell me how much it cost you it's a big deal a grain offering was smaller it was essentially a gift a a sort of a spontaneous gift offering to god a free will offering a peace offering was sometimes called a fellowship offering. This was one of the unique ones in that they would cook some of the meat on the grill for God and the person making the offering could eat some of it themselves, symbolizing you're having a fellowship with God. Uh, It was sort of a peace uh, between the two of you. And uh, God says, you may be eating at a table set for two, but just know I'm not coming. I don't accept these offerings. I don't look at them. One of the functions of the priest in the Old Testament was to give some sort of assurance uh, to the giver of the offering that the Lord has accepted that. In liturgical churches today, there's sometimes a portion that that they call assurance of pardon. It was one of the functions of the the priest to say, yes, God has received this offering. He's happy with it. You've given an offering, God has received it. Clearly, this would have shocked them to hear this, that they have been Giving false assurance to everyone in their temples for who knows how long. God was not accepting the sacrifices. They were doing nothing. In fact, they were no different than a sacrifice on a pagan altar seen by no God at all. Verse 23 continues Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Carl, where are you at? That's got to hurt your soul. He didn't even hear the harp. Ed, come on, not even the harp. I know. This is, this is a tough one, especially for a lover of music like myself. That word noise in Hebrew, uh, it, it literally means an agitating noise. It's not a good noise. It's a dissonant noise. I was trying to think of a sound that kind of was like that, and I thought back to my days as a, as a kid with dial-up internet, and uh, when you log on, and there's just that, you know, that sort of just sound, it's just crackling, and, and it's just awful. You know, like, make it stop, and then all of a sudden, you've got mail, and it's all good. But, you know, or... You know, we think, I, it's, isn't it weird that, that we think, you know, we're, we're out here doing our best, we're playing our best guitar parts, you know, even if you're in a traditional church, you know, you're doing your hymns, you got your 15-part harmony, you got your orchestra hitting all the, all the parts, and you think, man, God's just, He's just loving this. And imagine, so the scene shifts up to heaven, and God's got His ears plugged, saying, ah, what is that? I don't want that. And the irony is that you might be playing perfectly. You might be hitting all the right notes. You might be just doing it just right. Imagine us down here thinking that we're doing some big favor for God. and He's thinking, somebody turn off that racket. That thought, I think, rarely ever passes through our mind when we worship, right? We never think of it like that. Why? Why do we never even think that that's possible? I think it's because we believe. I may be projecting here, okay? I think it's because we believe that we are so awesome. How could God ever turn away my worship? I mean, we're talking about me here. When I snap my fingers, God shows up, right? I go out and live however I want on Saturday. I go out and pretend like none of that ever happened and then I come to worship and I won't be hindered in the slightest because, you know, grace or something like that. Church, hear this. God hates inauthentic worship. He does. God doesn't want our religious worship unless it's backed by authentic worship of the heart and is reflected in our daily lives. The goal of Christian worship is to be transformative. Worship is supposed to be transformative. I heard one theologian say, we become like what we worship. The goal of Christian worship is to bleed into your life. Our lives are to be changed because we worship. This is supposed to be practical. This is not a ritual. It's supposed to affect you. You know what this means for us as we gather as a church? Appearances are not nearly as important as you think they are. Israel looked very good on the outside. I think Jesus said that cup was quite clean on the outside. They had the priest burning the offerings, saying all the words, the Lord is pleased. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine. You may say they had it all. They had the phrases. They kept all the festivals. They showed up. They cooked all the right foods and read the right scriptures. They played all the right songs on key. On the outside, it looked like the happening church to be at. First Baptist, Bethel. They were ready for it. Checked all the boxes. But God says, it wasn't real. Now, nobody ever said that it wasn't real. Nobody in in northern Israel ever said out loud, this isn't real. Like all hypocrisy, it's a coordinated game that we play. No one ever says the emperor actually has no clothes. We just continue on. They just kept the charade going as long as they kept the balloon floating as long as they could. God says to the church doing that, listen, God says to the church, and I pray, i am just tell you, we're not that church, but God says to the church doing that, just cut the power, just put the instruments down, put the food back in the freezer, lock the doors, and shut it down. I would rather, God says, have authentic worship of a remnant of followers than a big production of false religion built in my name so if you're doing this maybe this is your life i'm describing your life if this is describing you what's the solution is it to say ah you know you're right i'm a hypocrite well guess i'm not coming to church anymore because i want to be you know truthful to who i am is that the, is that the solution church is that what we tell people Just embrace your sin. You're a hypocrite after all. That's what the the world actually, without saying it, says it. To be true to yourself, to embrace who you really are. Well, if you really are a sinner, don't embrace that, right? That's not who you are. The answer is to begin to be authentic with the God who already knows your heart. You can't hide anything from God. He can see like an x-ray machine right through here. He knows what's in here. He knows the thoughts from yesterday and before and before. He's already there. Don't pretend to be something you're not with God. You might fool me. That's cool if that's what you want to do. You can. I don't know you like that. But you can't fool God. You cannot fool God. Stop living for the praise and applause of people. Stop worrying so much what people think of you. If there's areas in your life where there's sin, don't be authentic to that. Be authentic to Jesus. Repent of that sin. Make changes. Put that sin away. Talk to Jesus about it every day. Say, hey, I'm struggling today, Lord. You can say those words. I'm struggling today, Lord. If, you don't, if you've never said that, you've never read the Psalms. You need to read the Psalms sometimes. If you've never seen a broken person pray really sadly. All right, David did. He had some rough Psalms in there. We've been reading them on Wednesday nights. Talk to Jesus every day about your struggles. Ask him, help me. Help me to live for you. Read his word. Cut out the junk in your life. Cut out the sinful influences in your life. Attach yourself to a godly mentor. Ask them to show you the way, to disciple you. If you're a hypocrite in church putting on a charade for everybody, that's you today. The answer isn't to stop going to church. It's stop being a hypocrite. That's the answer. And stay. And stay here. Okay? God hates a charade. He can see right through it. That's number one. Number two, what we see in this passage is God's requirement of righteousness. God's requirement of righteousness. Look at Amos 5.24 with me. Probably one of, the one verse, like I said, that the broad church culture knows. It's a good Instagram verse, good coffee cup verse. If you guys need a good coffee cup, put this one on there. But I hope to show you it's more than that. Remember the context before we read it? God says, I hate your festivals. I don't look at your sacrifices. I don't listen to your music. Stop it. Now, verse 24, but he says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So really important to know what this means because it's what God would have rather than false worship. Okay? So God doesn't want the false worship. He says, instead of that, let the justice roll down. Let righteousness flow. That's what he's saying. So we've got to know what those words are if justice and righteousness are the antidote to what Israel's going through. If God desires this as their repentance for false worship, we need to know what they are. Justice is a Hebrew word, mispat. That's what the Hebrew word is. It means a decision, a judgment made, a dispute A case or a claim, okay? That's what it means on paper. It's when the right sentence is handed down by a judge. That's what justice is. In fact, the Hebrew mispot, when brought into English, is often translated into judgment or ordinance itself. Now, we need to know this word because this word is being co-opted right now in our culture by those who would seek to make this into a social justice, an equitable society where everyone receives equal outcomes. That is not in all what this context means. If you've ever been in a church where they tell you that's what this means, they need to read the context, okay? What does this mean in context? Biblical justice is very simple. The same law is applied fairly equally across the board. That's what justice is biblically. There's not a legal system for the rich and a different one for the poor. That's That's what it is. The rule of law is applied equally to all people indiscriminately, and the punishments match the crime. That's what justice is. You get what you deserve, no matter who you are, where you live, or what you earn. That's biblical justice. good? You believe that? Okay. Now, what about righteousness? It says that too. It means honesty or blameless behavior. That's what righteousness is. It's seeking to live in a way that honors God. Now, Remember, Israel was not doing this. That's why this is the antidote. This is what their repentance looks like. So what does God want in justice and righteousness? I believe it could be summed up very simply. You know this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Treat people the way that you would want to be treated, not as pawns or tools to exploit for power or money. Treat people the same, be fair and just. Live like Jesus, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. That's it. Israel had wandered from this. They looked nothing like this. They had their sacrifices on the altar and their tithe in the money box, but they didn't have the sacrifice of their life laid down. They thought like many of us, they could buy their way out or they could volunteer their way out. That would be their sacrifice to God instead of their personal lives, which they kept separate in a lockbox that God was not allowed in to see. But listen to this. Hear one thing today. God wants the sacrifice of your obedience more than he wants the sacrifice of your money or your time. Now, eventually those things all get caught up together, right? But Let justice roll down like waters means I would rather there be a sacrifice of your life treating people justly like you'd want to be treated. I'd rather your laws and your practices reflect my laws than you keeping the festival schedule and coming to the temple with a life that in no way reflects what you say. God is saying, if you ask me what I'd rather have, if you gave God two options. Now, this this is a false dichotomy, but I'm going to do it anyway. If you gave God two options and said, pick one, we now know what he would pick. Option one, keep all the festivals, all the right offerings, all the right songs, but live lives of disobedience and break the law and transgress the covenant and treat other people like trash. That's option one. Or option two, have no festivals, no offerings, no songs, but seek the kingdom and his righteousness and honor him. God says, give me option two. Give me option two. I think of the story of 1 Samuel 15 as we close. I want to close with this story. King Saul was the new king in Israel. God tells the prophet Samuel, hey, before you go out to battle, relay this information. Samuel, relay this information to King Saul before he goes out to battle. Okay. They're going to fight the Amalekites. God says, here's the instructions. Very simple. Destroy them. Very simple. Don't bring back anything. Don't bring back the king alive, definitely. And don't bring back any spoils of war. Got it? Saul says, okay. Got it. Saul goes off to battle. Israel wins the battle. Saul brings back the enemy king alive and brings back the spoils of war. Specifically, the good livestock. So Samuel shows up, sees the enemy king sitting there playing Parcheesi, sees the enemy livestock they plundered, Says, what are you doing? What is this? God specifically said to destroy them, not to bring them back. This wasn't a pillaging raid. This was just as this was war. We were supposed to destroy them and come back. Saul says, my paraphrase Hey, Samuel, okay. I know what God said about the livestock. So that's why I took a few of the good ones. And I made a little sacrifice to God right here, with, with the livestock that we took, as a thank you, God, for our win in battle. So it's all good, I made a sacrifice, we're covered. Samuel says this, these are words that have stuck in my mind for a very long time as I've read these verses. Samuel's response, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen is better than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. God doesn't want us to just go out there, disobey Him, and come back and make a little sacrifice, to go show up to church, do some charity, pay a tithe, just to make our disobedience go away. He wants us, to listen to Him. His delight is not in the sacrifice as, it, as much as it is in the relationship that we have with Him. He would rather that we love and obey Him than to put on a show of false worship. We glorify God not just with our outward activities, but primarily with the living sacrifice of our lives. So a question for you to think about. Are you overemphasizing church activity as your sacrifice of praise, while neglecting the sacrifice of obedience in your daily life. Is your life outside these church gatherings? If your life were taken and laid upon the altar, if it was the metaphorical animal laid down on the altar, your life, would it be pleasing to God? Paul said in Romans 12:1, it actually is. I appeal to you brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So my challenge to you this week is to treat your daily life as a living sacrifice. May your worship be filled with authenticity and righteousness because anything else just doesn't impress him much. Pray with me.